feeling the love yet. Welcome back to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Mike Robinson is shriveling over in the corner at this at the hearing that track. Uh, that was the wonderful Boy George there, and uh, uh, cameos by a number of great '80s pop stars. Uh, Feed the world, don't they know it's Christmas time? That's uh, as they collect their royalty checks every month uh, from the record uh, published companies for five million for one single track that they did when they were probably hungover in a studio in London at some point in their career. Feeding the world, uh, making poverty history. Bono Davos. Uh, in fact, uh, Daddy Cherry is our guest. Uh, she's uh, sharing her experiences uh, with the global. How do we call this? The uh, the imperial. The humanitarian imperialists, I think, is a word that, that you use, Daddy. Daddy, I'd like to, I will personally... Disaster humanitarians. Listen, if, if I could make a, a meaningless music uh, track and make uh, $100 million from it, I would pay to have you go to Davos and to give a talk oh. at, at Davos in Switzerland in February to tell them uh, how wrong they all are and how deluded this whole circus is. This is the uh, smart power... Uh, humanitarian uh, industrial complex and uh, so we played that track before and you know the, uh, I'm all for good intentions and I I absolutely back you know people who are doing good work daddy and I know that you out of principle you don't give money to NGOs and charities is that correct yes I, I did give uh, right after the earthquake and I completely regretted it and I stopped after that uh, because I realized that the NGOs, uh, they exist to exist. They're building buildings in Haiti. I, I think as an NGO, uh, you, you have a mission. You, if you're for real, you do the job, and then you move on. And if you are setting up to stay for 10 to 15 years, there is something very wrong about this. Uh, immediately after the earthquake, there were about one NGO, and I don't mean one NGO person, one NGO for every 600 Haitians. Okay? And I wrote that if one could extrapolate to one NGO per Haitian, the Haitian would be dead. The place has been getting worse and worse and worse. It's just like Palestine. Because of that. It's just like Palestine yes. and like so many other places in the world. Uh, the, the, there's a correlation between the proliferation of NGOs and charities and then the lowering of uh, people's standard of living, the more suffering, uh, the more social fracturing is a direct correlation. And we've, we've talked about this with uh, Vanessa Bealy, who uh, is a uh, uh-huh. special contributor to 21st Century Wire and in reporting on this very issue and showing that not only is there a correlation, but some of these NGOs are directly involved in breaking down uh, society, breaking down social structures, breaking down... That is, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That is, in fact, their purpose. That is the reason why they are funded by organizations like USAID. The, their purpose is to create a barrier between people and, and activists people who are trying to raise consciousness and people who are trying to do good work. Uh, because this is the way, when you think about the, the revolution in Cuba, this is, this is the way revolutions have happened. You have a bunch of rebels. They provide services. They provide a government outside the government. Uh, 
before they before they actually take over. That's that's how you build support. That's how you build consciousness. But then the idea is for them to be a buffer. They're supposed to be there. They're supposed to be taking care of people. They're, they're, they're displacing hospitals. You have these makeshift clinics that are displacing hospitals. Um, they are actually causing the destruction of a bunch of Haitian uh, institutions, you see. And that's precisely this, to keep Haitians from ever actually getting together and overturning the status quo. And that is why they are supported. And let me let me tell you why this is crucial, and I want you to comment on this too, because this also is detailed in in your book, which is "We Have Dared to Be Free." That subjugating a country like Haiti is seen as a priority. This is my personal opinion. You might agree or or disagree with me. That, that Haiti is a priority in terms of subjugation because Haiti has a very unique history. Haiti is not is not like a lot of other countries. Haiti is one of the first truly emancipated uh, countries. It has a very special history, a very unique history. The people have a very unique set uh, of attributes that maybe not everybody has, uh, and not in that region and maybe not in the world. So in that, case, in that sense, they do have a, a very strong streak of independence that it, I will compare with Yemen as well. The Yemeni people mm-hmm. have some similarities in terms of their uh, aspirations of self-government, okay? So this is why yeah. countries like Haiti are at the top of the priority list for breaking down. Tell me if you think yeah. I'm very much off base or not on that. Oh, oh yes, uh, absolutely. You, you, are, you are correct. The whole idea is to show that the Haitian Revolution has failed. Uh, what Haitians did was, I think probably the most audacious thing in, in, in human history, which is for a bunch of slaves to emancipate themselves. There has not been another successful slave revolt in history. And Haitians uh, founded the Second Republic in the Americas and the first black republic in the world. And Haiti has been, it's been kind of the dark place where you didn't go. This happened. Uh, Haitian Declaration of Independence was in January 1st, 1804. The U.S. was a slave-owning country at the time. Slavery was a rigor at the time. Even though there had been the Enlightenment uh, and and so on, and uh, you know, that had, uh, that had, Powered the French Revolution and then and then the the American Revolution, uh, people weren't really walking the talk of their revolution. It was Haitians who actually infused some real meaning into the rights of men, enough meaning that slavery uh, could not belong there in any country that claimed to be a republic that claimed to honor the rights of men. Uh, and so Haiti is Haiti is is kind of a prize. To say that the Haitian Revolution has failed, and in addition to that, the sort of racist idea that black people cannot really govern themselves, they could never really lead a country and, and, and a successful revolution, I think. To, to be able to say that is, is a priority. But at the same time, I feel like we shouldn't be so embattled, really, uh, that we need to ramp up, ramp up 
all resistance to all this. And, and I invite people to actually help Haiti resist because, because the things they do in Haiti, they export. Like, for example, uh, this past week, uh, before Hillary Clinton won the primaries, uh, Associated Press announced for her the day before. Well, uh, in December 2014, uh, Associated Press announced the prime minister of Haiti. Even though in Haiti, a prime minister is supposed to be nominated by a president and then voted on by the Congress. Associated Press announced that the president had decided the prime minister, and that was that. You see, they actually make the rules with their international press. And this is the first time Americans were subjected to this. Uh, and what I try to convey to, to people all over the world is that this is coming to you. What they do in Haiti is going to come to you. The rice dumping in Haiti, okay, happened uh, in the 1990s. Well, there was wheat dumping uh, in Egypt, very much the same way. Okay? And so, not, not to be too depressing about it, I think at the same time, when Haitians fight it, if the world helps Haiti to fight it, they can also learn how to fight in their own countries. Like, for example, Haiti actually resisted some fake elections recently uh, by demanding a recount, by boycotting and getting out on the street. Uh, and Americans should more or less be doing the same thing because they're not really be uh, being given a choice of presidential candidates. Uh, and so there is, there is a lot to learn from Haiti. We're still a revolutionary country. We're still very, very proud. Um, and another thing, and part of the reason why people were so warm to Haitians after the earthquake, people donated, donated to Haitians, is because um, we, have, we have set a, a fairly good track record in our interactions, in our interactions with people. And we're always proud to say we're Haitians, however, however our stature in life, whatever our stature in life might be. And so people who had been in contact with Haitians knew this and knew these were people they wanted to help. And, and it is absolutely horrific that you would have folks like, like the Clintons, people who are rich, uh, using this as an opportunity, uh, you know, to be predatory. On, on a country well, that, is, that is basically on its back, where people are, have suffered an earthquake, where you've had hundreds of thousands of people dead, uh, over a million people homeless, and you are actually going in and seeing this as a business, as, uh, not just a business opportunity, but an opportunity for larceny, really. And here's a two an years well, two two years after, just in the seven seven point magnitude, right? Earthquake, it, it yeah. destroyed Port-au-Prince, and then a deal is brokered. A deal is brokered by former President Bill Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. It's supposed to be a charity, and this is uh, supposedly we're told at the time to add new lodging for aid workers and travelers, uh, NGO workers in Port-au-Prince. It's a forty-five, and it turns out to be a forty-five million dollar hotel, uh, five-star yeah. hotel. With, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so true. But we have to kind of laugh. I'm, what I'm laughing at, Daddy Cherry, is I'm laughing at the pomp and circumstance of this this elite humanitarian class, and I'm looking at this, which is basically a dodgy back alley 
deal that could have been done in some poor neighborhood in Chicago, but instead it's done in Haiti. It's the same business. Yes. Yeah, the Bush, the Bush Clinton fund. Uh, they raised uh, they raised fifty four million dollars in, in two thousand eleven, uh, and then they they use a couple of million dollars from that to um, to to build a, a well. They do, actually that was only part of the funding for the hotel. Uh, so a hotel called the Royal Oasis Luxury Hotel in a very posh area of Port-au-Prince called Pétionville. Uh, there are four more luxury hotels that have been built in, in, in that, that area, including the Marriott, which got $26 million from the World Bank. And, 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 and this, is, this is, you see, this is how it's done. Um, Clinton is connected to all of these things. Uh, Bill Clinton is connected to the World Bank because the president of the World Bank is a good friend of Paul Farmer, is co-founder of Partners in Health. Um, they, they control, so you see the money, so the money is coming from them or some of it is coming from the World Bank and so on, but it's all really coming through a, a Clinton initiative. And, and I wrote, I, I wrote in a play, in a, in a, in a satirical play about, uh, uh, about some dignitary came to visit Haiti and complained about the lodgings and, and, you know, and said, well, you know, can't, can't you build some place where I can stay? And, and I never, I never imagined, you know, that, that this, this would become, this would become real. This is what these people would actually be, be doing. So life life imitate life imitates art in in that sense. Yes. There's another company, Digicel. This is the largest private uh, cell phone provider, I guess, in Haiti. Digicel yes. have made huge. In fact, they they boast about it publicly. Huge co- charitable contributions to the Clinton Global Initiative, and so oh, yeah. uh, you know, bil- there's a billionaire made every minute. In, in, in the wake of any disaster. But what I'm seeing in Haiti is this just undeniable, uh, uh, horrible pattern here, uh, which is, to me, it's, it just smacks of neocolonialism in, in the most modern sense. Oh, it absolutely is neocolonialism. Digicel, yes, the, the, uh, has invested over $400 million in Haiti. And one of their... Uh, one of the big things is that they rebuilt uh, Haiti's iron market uh, in less in less than a year. But then they now own it, and they're now they're now charging people to use it. You see, and and other markets uh, throughout the throughout the city have become highly flammable. Uh, there's all sorts of acts of arson going on, and and so you have these poor people who are just trying to sell their produce. And who have to now pay to be in the market. If they go to the other markets, they risk uh, getting their stuff burned up. This wow. is this is what happens. <laughs> okay. Unbelievable. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they want you to be grateful because they brought a few jobs to Haiti. You know, a few hotel jobs. Uh, yeah. Uh, housekeepers, clean bedchamber bed maids, you know, cleaners, good jobs for the Haitians at uh, sweatshop workers. Sixty cents and, an hour. And yeah, if they're lucky. Sweatshop workers. And another pattern about the jobs is they tend to be uh, dirty industries. Uh, most people don't realize what a dirty industry textiles 
uh, are. Uh, and typically, you, you have these big uh, textile factories on top of rivers, and they completely pollute the rivers. And the power supply for these also, uh, also uh, pollute the rivers. And so, so it is not, so at the same time that Haiti is suffering from a cholera epidemic and people need clean water more than ever, uh, clean water in the country is being used for textiles and for mining. You have these companies actually, uh, and they take huge areas, huge land areas. They evict farmers and fishermen. And they create jobs, they evict thousands of farmers and fishermen, maybe tens of thousands sometimes, and they create jobs for a few thousand people and completely pollute, pollute the area, destroy the area. Uh, Caracol Industrial Park, which is supposed, which is the centerpiece of the, of the Clinton administration, it, it straddles uh, a couple of rivers that feed into this magnificent bay that was supposed to be in a UNESCO uh, treasure. And, and a, uh, a marine park and uh, and has and the site is 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 littered with archaeological treasures and this is this is the gift that we get this is not something to be all, all that excited about and at the same time I want to say it's what they do is they it's like they they steal your clothes and then they say, "Well, can't you see you're naked?" You know, um, what they do is they are they are actually wrecking the country, and at the same time they say, "Well, oh well, Haiti is completely deforested. Haiti is a is a is a natural disaster." But in fact, Haiti's got thousands of miles of virgin coast, and they're taking over the coast. Haiti had some rivers that were, and, and this is something that's unheard of these days until these people came along, it had rivers that had water that was clean enough to drink. Okay, It has uh, clouds, virgin cloud forests. Uh, and people don't understand that when you build roads for mining companies and when you grind up a mountain, this is a lot more destructive with regard to deforestation than uh, than a few farmers uh, cutting down wood to make charcoal. You cut down wood to make charcoal, you actually you don't actually uh, divide habitats. Uh, the animals somehow manage, uh, but if you if you destroy the area and you pave it, and then you grind a mountain, uh, and then you um, you do open pit mining uh, there, um, that is infinitely more destructive. So they are not doing Haiti a favor at all. What they're doing is wrecking Haiti. And they they and they treat Haiti like it's some sort of tabula rasa, like it's some sort of blank slate for them to to work on. As if Haitians don't know what they have, as if Haitians have not run their country for uh, for more than uh, 200 years. I mean it, it's extraordinary. And so, well, you know, one of the uh, the the ring the ringleaders of uh, this international, and I'm, I'm we're going to get on this 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 line now of this topic because I think this is really important. Okay, there the the I. The problem is in today's uh, global uh, globalized uh, political internet uh, environment of internet activism, where the promise of that Twitter can 
bring bring on a wave of a color revolution and transform a society and bring it more towards freedom and democracy, etc. All the promises of technology in the globalized world. One of the ringleaders here is uh, George Soros and this kind of oh, yeah. new gang. And I call this, this to me is the new fake left, okay? Which, uh, oh, yes. Which isn't so new anymore, by the way. Uh, they're quite into their to their uh, their reign, if you will. But I think uh, the game is becoming thin now. People have picked up on this. In so many countries, they're now banning NGOs. They're revisiting their own uh, uh, legal status uh, that they're giving to these NGOs. In other words, these charities or NGOs have to prove that what they're doing is not in the interests of... Uh, foreign countries or corporations in order to stay and work within the country okay and now this is this, this is a problem uh for certain countries and not for others if they can afford to pay off the the right people then they can be there or if it's just such a big industry they can't afford to kick them all out like in uh in palestine or, or lebanon mm-hmm. or or even in Haiti, there's just too many NGOs and too much money that's swirling around for them to just put the, the kibosh on it. But um, So yeah. George Soros is it's fueling this. They need public opinion is what I'm saying. They need public perception to, to back what they believe is the right thing to do and to, to raise yeah. all these teenagers and college students. I just saw a movie advert uh, recently in the cinema that uh, if you text this this thing to save the children, you can donate three yeah. pounds a month from your mo- and they play yes. the before the film. This is infiltrating even the cinemas. It's it's outrageous. Yes, you, you call I, this. I you, have you used a term. The, 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 these are colonists of the mind. The, they're absolutely. They're colonizing people's minds. This is what the that's the, right. The new fake left is. It's been that is what they out. do. Yeah. And I, I wrote a piece called The Fake Left with my colleague Gilbert Mercier, um, who wrote The Orwellian Empire, also published by News Jacquet Post, and where we discuss this. And I have discussed it also you know, in, in uh, uh, an essay called um, Colonialism of the Mind. And what these people do, they're basically journalistic NGOs. And what they do is propaganda. They spin things, they twist things, and uh, but even worse than that, they plagiarize people who are writing the truth, but then they always twist the message somehow. They they only partly plagiarize it. Their conclusion is always their conclusion is always more or less the same, which is you do not question the status quo. You you ask for better imperialism. You, you, for example, appeal to the UN and to USAID for more accountability. You ask power to reform itself. You don't talk about, you don't talk about a country taking over the reins of power. And, and in fact, what people like that do, I am, I am among uh, the rare people who are actually Haitian and who are actually discussing Haiti. They actually assume the voice, the voices of the people that their countries are colonializing. And they speak for them. They pretend to speak for them. And what they tell is a bunch of lies. What they tell is basically what the mainstream is telling. 
except they're even more exaggerated because the mainstream, there is, there is actually a little bit of control to what they can or cannot say, but the alternative press, the supposed alternative press, says whatever, whatever it wants. And they do things, for example, like they attack Haitian society in, in all sorts of ways. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, one thing that, uh, that I have uh, defended is a method of partial adoption in Haiti that's called Restavec. And basically what happens, and this is something that, that's done in Africa, and it was done in Europe uh, in the past, uh, when, when a family has one, two children too many, and they cannot really afford to support the children, they take the oldest ones, the ones who are teenagers, and they place them in another family. And generally, it's a family they respect. It's a family that's in the same city, and it's a family that's usually a little bit better off than they are. Sometimes much better off, but, you know, always better off, but not necessarily usually better off. Okay? And it's a method of partial adoption where the children know their parents, the children know the adoptive parents, and the parents collaborate in providing for the children. Uh, and the children have to do chores in the houses where they are placed. Okay? Now, a bunch of these uh, supposed do-gooders have started to call this um, slavery. Okay? They started to call this slavery. And what this has served is the international adoption of Haitians. And the international adopt when kids are adopted internationally, basically they are taken. There, there is no follow up from the Haitian government. Some of these kids, there's actually a Haitian minister that actually got on the television immediately after the earthquake and said that some of these children are being used for for their organs. They are actually being killed. They are being used for organ donations. Oh. Okay, and so I, I challenge anybody to tell me that international adoptions are better than the kind of partial adoption that happens in Haiti. Now, they can point out to uh, any kind of abuse that happens in the adoption, but then you can also point out adoptions, uh, you know, of nuclear families where there is also abuse. I point out the fact, for example, that Russia will not allow adoptions in the United States anymore because Russian children have been killed by, um, by some American adoptive parents. But does that mean that you would rule out that kind of adoption completely? Uh, and why should you do that for the Haitian kind of traditional adoption? But this is what these supposed do-gooders are doing. Uh, they are calling, they're pretending to actually help Haitians and to love Haitian children so much that they want to protect the Haitian children uh, from their parents and they want to call the parents child slavers. And so... And so I, I have no tolerance for, this, for, for these people. And then you have NGOs, uh, that are these law NGOs that have, uh, that have challenged the UN. For example, there's an NGO called uh, Institute for Justice and Democracy uh, in Haiti that sued the UN. And then I discovered that Paul Farmer, who is Deputy UN Special Envoy, to Clinton is actually on their board. Okay, so they are suing the UN, and the UN is on their board. 
Okay. Um, generally, these people are NGOs. They, they support the continued existence of NGOs because they themselves belong to NGOs. They're NGO journalists, and they're doing, they're carrying the water for people like George Soros. And, and of course, he's open society. He's got an infinite number of these foundations. It's very hard to trace them back to him. But every once in a while, you can. And some people actually make a business of 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 digging into this and figuring out uh, who these people are who are supported by Soros. But I know them from my work because what they do sometimes, uh, if I publish something, they will publish something with all the same keywords, and they will uh, in in a in a in an area, in a publication that's that's much bigger, and they will completely swamp my message. Uh, and their conclusion will always be something witty, like, well, you know, let's, let's just ask uh, somebody to just reform themselves. You know, uh, another thing they do is a lot of academic babble. They don't, they don't talk straight. They can take any kind of very emotional issue and, and, reduce it to some sort of academic exercise that will cause people to be inactive about it. It, it seems to me and, that, it, it just quickly, it seems to me there's two sides here. You've got the NGOs, uh, on the charities on one side. They're being driven by mainly by Wall Street, Wall Street billionaires like George Soros, uh, like the, the, the Clinton uh, business community or whatever. And then on the other side, we have the corporations and the businesses who benefit from depressed uh, economic situations, cheap labor, easy opportunities, buy your way into a market, dominate and have a monopoly over that market. And so it seems to me like the NGO smart power complex is designed to soften up markets for businesses to come in easily without any resistance mm-hmm. and to completely dominate the trade in that in that region. Is that that's what it seems their, it's, it's a two sided job. Yeah. Go ahead. Their job is to lay the groundwork and to do the propaganda to lay the groundwork. That's their job. And and the NGOs, it's interesting that you you talk about this because USAID, for example, which is a way that the U.S. you know allocates money, it it has grants and it, its grants tends to be to NGOs, and then it has contracts where it gives you know where it hires where it hires contractors, um, and the purpose is the same to open markets and to basically just control countries. And That's to buy off, and to buy off, and to buy off influential people like, say, middle class or academia in in a country like Haiti. USAID can go and spread the money around to the right people, right? To and that they will, do, and they'll make them pro-American. And they'll they'll be pro-American in their outlook after that. I guarantee it. And in fact, for example, when they wanted to change Haiti's agricultural economy uh, to an economy for export, what they did was they gave money to the big landowners to tie them over while while they were switching uh, what they use their lands for and this is this is the kind of thing they do they they get they are very very close to all the you know it's like the philippines like all these other places haiti has got its handful of big families that control a lot of the land and they make sure to get close to all of these people and uh yeah and they are the ones who get the grants these these grants they don't they don't go to um to little people they go uh to accomplish uh 
let's let's just say it that way. The when the U.S. gives out aid, when a country gives out aid, it is not aiding the supposed assisted country. It is aiding itself. It is aiding its own corporations. It is um, helping to uh, hire its own national its own nationals. USAID, for example, brags about the fact that eighty percent of the money it gives out goes back to the United States. It's corporate welfare in a kind of a way, and this is set up by heavy lobbying in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you the Bill Clinton rice farmer deal, this was done by the Arkansas or the rice lobby in the United States, set that in motion, basically. And that used used politicians to use military assets to whatever, to basically take over that market completely. And uh, and so the lobbyists are the key. They, They begin this process in the United States. And from there, it just falls like dominoes. And the last domino Mm -hmm. falls flat on top of Haiti. In a country like this, that's right. That's right. But we are we we are fighting it, and we're gonna we're gonna keep fighting it. We're fighting. We're finding new ways to fight it every day. They um, they cannot expect to keep doing this uh, forever. Um, and and you see, they what happens is Haiti. All these people, they. They sort of rub elbows in Haiti. They meet in Haiti. They get corrupted in Haiti. I think of Haiti almost like a like a, a sort of a cattle farm where they you know they take cattle for finishing. You know, there's people who are kind of only partly corrupt, just become completely corrupt, uh, and then they send them back to their countries to run their countries, and they go back to their countries and they they do the same things, uh, and sometimes. Well, they get in trouble. Now, you know, this is, this is basically what, what is happening in, in Brazil. And we can see the beginnings of this uh, in the United States. You have the Clinton Foundation uh, doing a whole bunch of things. This is all stuff that they have done in Haiti. They've tried in Haiti. They've got away with. And they're doing it in the United States now. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is surprised. They... They shouldn't be surprised. And you know okay. what? Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and uh, and we are learning. We are learning in Haiti how to fight this, how to expose these people, and it's absolutely important to expose them while they are in places like Haiti or the Philippines and and so on. Um, one of the things one of the things they do quite routinely is um, you get. Whether it's it's uh, uh, there's been a war or there's going to be a major sporting event like an Olympic game or uh, or World Cups um, or whether you want to build new institutions etc. You need uh, you need construction companies and so you get the government to sort of give grants for doing uh, for doing a bunch of construction and but then. Construction is is pretty nebulous. You know, you can you can decide uh, pretty arbitrarily how much how much uh, something is worth and so on, and how much uh, resource got used in in building some particular structure, and then you skim off the money. and And what's being used now is this money gets skimmed off. Some of it goes to build politicians' houses and so on. A lot of it goes to finance political campaigns. 
Okay, this this was done in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. It's now being done elsewhere. Wow, and, and I think I know some other places where this might be happening too. This is interesting. Uh-huh. Big big coffers for political funds in some very poor countries. Absolutely. And I always wondered where this money comes from. And I, it's not just from the billionaires in those countries because they're they're stingy. They don't want to give their money away too much to for political campaigns. But um, so it's coming. It's, it's coming from the taxpayers. It's being laundered through the NGO complex. Is what you're saying, right? That's right. Through the NGO complex, through construction companies. That's interesting. <laughs> and, Oh. And it's coming back to finance campaigns. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I've traveled to some places in the world. I was always trying to work out where this money was coming from. This could be very well be the one. Um, mm-hmm. So, so this um, also, you know, a good example here, and I'll get you to comment on this too. When Russia, when the Soviet Union collapsed in um, in the late eighties, and, and it economically really collapsed in freefall in the early nineties, that country got besieged by uh, uh, investment banks from Wall Street, uh, neo economic. Uh, planners, uh, Harvard and Ivy League graduates with all these great creative economic ideas and NGOs like you wouldn't believe. And mm-hmm. if you polled the people in Russia in the 90s during this time, this this absolutely chaotic time in Russian society, uh, it, it, a lot of people were very pro-American, uh, quite, quite a big percentage, pro-Western, pro-American. They saw uh, uh, possibly the West as a, as, a, as a keeper of their salvation uh, in terms of uh, re-entering the, uh, the, the, the free world, as it were. And as time rolled on, uh, and if you take that same opinion poll today, uh, that number has switched almost to it's teetered the opposite direction where uh, a smaller and smaller percentage of Russians uh, have faith or, or pro-American and it's not because of reasons that might you might obviously think like they're they're under threat militarily. It's that they this is one of the ironies of globalization, and this, there are some unpredictable factors that even elites can't calculate. And the, one of the ironies of globalization in Russia and Egypt and uh, in Syria and other places is that with the spread of of ideas, products, information in the globalized, mechanized global economy, people also get to see what's going on around the world and they get to understand better that they are being screwed or have been been screwed for decades. And all of a sudden, the the, the Wizard of Oz moment happens when the curtain goes and they see it's just a couple of little wizards there pulling their levers. (laughs) And so by their success of the globalized economy, they've also has the seeds of the failure of the illusion. And I think even in Haiti, it's the reckoning will come uh, and it will it will come very soon, I would imagine, because people aren't. Yeah, they, they they will realize that rather than someone paying them off with 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 a few pennies, that's not going to buy their, you know, their sense of national identity. It's not going to buy their sense of seeing their communities destroyed or their families broken up. That that's not going to pay yes. for damages of all that. It's not enough. Anymore. Yes. And people can tell that their lives are worse now than it was than it was before before they got all this aid. So how exactly are they being aided? Um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Russia. Russia has kicked out USAID, and it's it's kicked out the Soros Foundation NGOs. Um, it's it's not allowing uh, international adoption to the U.S. and so on. Yes, Russia um, Russia has figured it out. 
And and yes, and we we are figuring it out. Uh, we know that uh, even though I mean um, people keep saying, well, you know, we're poor, we're poor, we're poor, um, and at, at the same time they're ripping us off. They're yeah. stealing our labor. They they are stealing the coast of our country. Um, they are stealing the mountains uh, and and the minerals that that we have. Uh, that could get us get us out of poverty. They're stealing. Uh, you realize, I mean, fourteen billion dollars donated to a country of ten million people. That's like a thousand four hundred dollars for every Haitian man, woman, and child. If if they paid them that in in cash every year, it could transform people's lives. <laughs> If they had paid them cash, that in cash just once, people are very entrepreneurial. It would have completely transformed their lives. If they had just dropped the money out of an airplane, it would have accomplished more than uh, than what has happened. And instead, but, what we got is a worse condition than before. Worse than absolutely before 2010. It's worse now. Much worse condition than before. And the point is to get the money into the right pockets. Haiti really has been a massive money laundering operation. It's basically been used to launder state money given for aid and just take it back into the right pockets for political uh, paybacks to uh, to various people and, and so on. This is really what happened with, with the Haiti earthquake. And so, you know, yeah. Okay. Well, we're we got a few minutes left, but um, just okay. you know, back on the political conversation, and you know, I think we've we've fleshed out quite a bit here. Um, it it seems to me, and I think you you're probably someone who I think is qualified to comment on this. You know, it, it, there's a lot of people who are beginning to wake up now to the fact that the 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 left right paradigm and even in america the democratic republican system the party system the, the political whip system is is ruined any chance of a functioning democracy it has bred such corruption uh and it's taken 150 years in america for this or 200 years for it to really be, become so really obvious to this generation that, but they're yet yet they're, they they are still throwing incredible amounts of money in terms of uh, left wing propaganda, and I'm I'm not talking about left wing in terms of uh, in a derogatory sense. I'm talking about this commercialization of the do gooders of the humanitarian. It's like this kind of virtual. It's like I wake up and I get I have an app, <laughs> a smartphone, and if I hit that app every, every morning, then I'm, I've done my bit. And I'm a good world citizen. They've they've marketed this in a genius way, and and in, and herded a whole generation of people into a corner where there's nothing there. There, there. There's absolutely no participation. There's no ethics. There are no moral concern. It's all virtual. It's in. It's almost like a. It's it's completely. Yeah. It doesn't exist. That's right. It's thin air, basically. That's right. Um, yes, and you 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 can act. You can act by liking something or by sharing something or by retweeting something, um, but without actually uh, doing anything. Yes, it's, it's, it is a way to 
pacify people, really, uh, to keep them from, from, uh, from getting out on the street and, and doing things. Uh, you know, uh, marching, blocking the entrance of buildings, keeping, keeping people from the parliament who shouldn't be there, and so on. Uh, Daddy, if, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be great if, if the do-gooders of the world or, or the, all the NGO employees in Haiti, if they went and blocked the factories that are, are the beneficiaries of this disaster who are paying slave, the real slavers, are the, cor- are the, yes. are the corporations using Haiti as a sweatshop, where, why don't they just form a human shield around them and, uh, and shut down those businesses? Wouldn't, if the do-gooder could do that, if they could reach that level, maybe we would see something positive happen. Mm-hmm. But, but I, don't I, have, what I, have, I don't see that happen. Don't see that happen. What I have called for is, is uh, what I've argued is that Haitians do participate in, in their own oppression in some ways because, because all, these, all these people from the NGOs and from the UN who are in Haiti right now, they all depend on Haitian servants. They all depend on, on Haitian translators. They depend on support for Haitians. And at, at a minimum... Haitians should stop all support for these people. Now, you could say, well, okay, if Haitians stop support for these people, uh, they stop work, then they're going to starve. And this is where I think that the Haitian diaspora in places like the United States and France and Canada can actually help support a strike in Haiti until these people are basically kicked out. Uh, we need to say no more. We will not. Haitians don't want to continue UN presence in Haiti. Uh, they have been saying that now for 12 years, and the UN is still there. Well, uh, Haitians could simply stop all work for the UN. And more than 85% of Haitians are unemployed. The ones who are, un- who are unemployed could enforce the work blockage. 85%. And say, that's it. 85% are unemployed. Yeah, the, yeah, the GDP has had actually been increasing for, for years, you know, 4 or 5% uh, while unemployment was rising. <laughs> Which goes to show that one, one actually has nothing to do with the other. It just has to do with how much money passes through the country and doesn't get in, into Haitian hands. But Haitians can put an end to it. They can simply... At a minimum, they should stop supporting these people. They should stop cooperating with the occupation. Haiti is currently occupied. Bush Clinton, um, really what they should call him is the U.S. High Commissioner of Haiti. Back when the U.S. had an outright occupation of Haiti from 1915 to 1934, they came up with this model where they would have an American actually run the country along with a figurehead president. And the American at the time was a man called General John H. Russell. And this is essentially the role that Clinton has assigned himself now. He is the U.S. High Commissioner of Haiti, which is unoccupied countries. Now, occupations are, are not nice things. Are not, you know, this is a military occupation that Clinton is running through the U.N. And there have been all sorts of abuses. There have been murders, rapes, you name it. Uh, and people want this to stop. And yet every year, the U.N. occupation is renewed. 
people need to completely boycott everything having to do with with the UN and the NGOs in Haiti and completely stop all work for them. At a minimum, this has to be done. And and uh, and then you know beyond this, just generally, um, you know we're we're trying to pitch a big tent here because we see that things are shifting and changing. That you know, the, whoever, if you consider yourself to be a liberal or a conservative, uh, I think we're moving into a space now in history where all this is is disintegrating. All these constructs are considered they're, they're It's happening fast, and if you don't yes. realize this soon, you're going to miss miss the boat. <laughs> to uh, and when yeah, and when you consider things like climate change, we've had a one degree centigrade rise in 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 global surface temperatures um, in the last thirty years. Okay, uh, and and because. I mean, even just because of the albedo effect, just the idea that the Earth is is less reflective than it was before, it means that the next one degree change is going to be in less than 30 years. This is what we're looking at. And every scientist is saying, we cannot take a two degree centigrade change in average global temperatures without destroying uh, civilization as we know it, without having all the coast, uh, all the coastal cities underwater. Uh, and, and we cannot really just be, uh, we, we can't be passive about this. We, we, this, is, this, is like a, this is like a truck barreling down at us. We, there, there's got to be a change in mindset and very, very quick. Well, the, the the way I look at the way that's that's an existential, well, it's it's kind of an existential issue or an existential threat. But the way I look at that, Daddy, is that look, whatever God's plan is for this planet, um, we're not going to be able to change it overnight. So, but if if any catastrophe is to become uh, and to set upon man, that uh, at least we are absolutely doing our best and treating each other in the best way. Uh, no matter what we're, we're facing, what, no matter what threat. Well, yes. And I, I don't yes, think as the thing a, comes, yes, yes, we we have to change our ethics, and we have to we have to behave better toward each other, um, because we're we're probably already past the point of no return, uh, perhaps, and we perhaps. are at the point where we have to think about this. You know, and, and as as a civilization, you know, is this the best we can do? And I'm looking at this situation. I'm looking at Haiti. I'm looking at Syria. I'm looking at Yemen, and so many other situations. It's not. It mm-hmm. is not. Not only is it not the best we can do, it is the worst we can do actually. And with all the development, with all the thinkers, with all the universities, and I'm sure you've, uh, you, you know, there's thousands of departments of uh, doing studying globalization around different universities mm-hmm. and states in Europe, giving out grants and master's degree scholarship and PhD research grants to, to study the better ways to organize and so forth. They are failing miserably. The system is completely yes. bankrupt. It is ineffective and it's corrupt. And this, this yes. is where we're at now. And we need to kind of really take a hard look at these institutions and consider throwing them out or just shutting them down and throwing them out immediately because yeah. they are not doing any good. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it is a kind of insanity for people to be so power and money hungry that they are, you know, destroying places all, all over the world. They're, they're wrecking uh, what little there is there is left of the coral reefs and and uh, the coasts and 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 uh, you know fishing and and so on it's it's insane uh, and they're getting money what for and and how much more money do you need if you've already got a billion or a hundred million Daddy, I'm here with uh, my, my uh, guest host, Mike Robinson from the UK column, and we were just talking about this, Mike, a couple of days ago. Um, they did a study or someone had testified about what it took to su suspend their morality or to suspend ethics. It, only, it was a question of uh, there was a little bit of money involved. And that when you introduce money, this might have been the financial sector. Or the banking sector. If you introduced a little bit of money, it's proven that people will then suspend their ethical concerns or morality. Mike, you want to comment on that real quick? Uh, well, that, that's absolutely right. Uh, it's it's a, a research that's been done f for decades, really. Uh, what does it take to get people to behave in a particular way? Uh, we're seeing more and more behavioral, behavioral psychology research going on at the moment. Uh, and... Uh, I mean, I think the key point, from a from an economic point of view, something that's come across very strongly in this discussion, of course, is that, that what they have what they have achieved is that they have made Haiti interdependent. It's no longer independent. It's not capable of existing as an independent nation. Mm -hmm. It's interdependent. It's reliant on others. So, yes. if those NGOs leave and take their money with them today. Uh, how how quickly could Haiti get back on its feet? Uh, they're going to take a lot of a lot of uh, support away with them, uh, and uh, uh, this is a this is a model that we see right around the world. This this idea of interdependence nobody is nobody is able yeah. to exist as uh, a, a unit which which can survive on its own. Uh, well, I think. Um, I think that's true. There is the interdependence in in the case of. Rwanda has done this. They have actually approached their own uh, diaspora for help. Instead of going uh, so much to aid agencies, they've approached their own diaspora for help. I think Haiti can do that. Uh, if the NGOs leave, I think uh, the Haitian diaspora would have to step in. The Haitian diaspora contributes quite a lot uh, in terms of remittances to to, uh, to the country to support their families. Uh, but I think this could become more formalized. Uh, people have thrown around the idea, for example, of, of the Haitians who live abroad um, as being an 11th department in the country. The country has 10 departments, kind of like 10 states. Uh, treat them like a state, give them power as a state, and, and uh, as a way to integrate them into the, the political affairs of the country. So I think there are ways that Haiti can recover from this. Uh, the NGOs did come, and they did destroy a lot of things. Uh, but I think we can rebuild. And uh, absolutely what we don't need is to have them stick around and do more destruction. Uh, we definitely, definitely can't have that. Uh, it, it has, it has to end. Um, you know, people, people are getting worse and worse all the time. People, people are starving now. What, what, what more? Uh, 
uh, something has got to change. So we've got a presidential uh, election coming up in America. Uh, presumptive nominee is Hillary Clinton uh, versus apparently Donald Trump. Now, not not political at all, what I'm asking here. It's really from a realist point of view. Is the Hillary Clinton um, presidency, if this is if she wins the presidency, is this going to be a good or a bad thing for people of Haiti or for the NGO complex? Is or is could this even could this accelerate the realization that the whole system is corrupt? What what are your feelings on this? Because I know you probably think about this sometimes. Oh, I do think about this quite a lot. I think she she um, she could be disastrous for Haiti. On the other hand, I think also that if she does manage to get elected, she might get impeached. It, it might be uh, another Dilma Rousseff. Given all the goings on, um, goings on with with the Clinton Foundation, so so maybe it's a good thing that that uh, uh, she's going to get elected. But yes, the, when she became Secretary of State and and Clinton became UN Special Envoy in two thousand and nine, uh, the the whole thing in Haiti just just went completely uh, on on steroids. And then of course the earthquake happened a year later, and it, it was just incredible. I mean they they controlled USAID, they controlled the World Bank, uh, they they controlled absolutely everything. And Hillary Clinton. Uh, was able to march into Haiti in 2011 after a presidential election and demand uh, to change the results. Wow! Uh, you know, and and they they and and the results got changed. You know, it was uh, the really? the two candidates who wound up who wound up on top were, were Jude Celestin and Milan Maniga. And her guy was Michel Martelly. He didn't. He he was he was third place, uh, or, or actually no, I think he was even fifth in the runoff. And she decided that uh, it was going to be uh, Michel Martelly. And then they devised this this new method of computing the vote, where they uh, decided that the the top candidate couldn't have earned more than two hundred and fifty votes in any precinct. They threw out many tens of thousands of his votes uh, and then managed somehow to get Michel Martelly up there uh, and, and Milan Maniga as one and two. But she literally went to Haiti to demand this. Uh, this, is, this is how much the U.S. believes in democracy. And I, w- I wish Bernie Sanders would, it w- even if he brought that up and if he knew about it, I don't think he would have brought that up during a debate with Hillary Clinton. But th- this is the state of politics right now. There's the, 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 A lot of this stuff is easy to find out through a little bit of research and a little bit of reading. But it seems to be verboten in U.S. political circles to really genuinely challenge the power structure. Um, they might challenge yes. The person might get challenged, but not not the system. And I see this throughout U.S. politics. This is a kind of a pattern I've noticed in in, in recent years. But the system doesn't really get challenged. The deep system, which is what we're discussing here. Yes, uh, Bernie Sanders hasn't really. Uh, he has not even attacked Clinton on the Clinton Foundation. Uh, 
revelations. I mean, some things that are absolutely cut and dried, like uh, uh, the taxes not being done correctly and the foundation overstepping its bounds and doing things that it was not supposed to be doing. He, he never even brought any of this up. Um, you know, it's uh, personally, uh, I believe that um, nobody really wanted to run against Clinton. And um, Bernie Sanders is running. He doesn't expect to win. And, and it's the same with Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders is supposed to be the leftist who doesn't win. And Donald Trump is supposed to be the right. The right is who doesn't win, who doesn't win. And, you know, the lesser, and, and Clinton with the Donald Trump thing is supposed to be the lesser of the two evils that gets worse uh, with every cycle. This is, uh, well, this is what, uh, what the U.S. is faced with. Now, this was not really a campaign, seriously. I mean, that, that Haiti did not come up after that AP stunt, which had happened in Haiti, that Haiti did not come up uh, with regard to Hillary Clinton completely manipulating and faking the Haitian elections in, in 2010, 2011. Uh, yeah, it, it's very hard to believe that there are real candidates in this election. Mm. Well, uh, It's more or less, the way I say it, it's more or less a coronation of Hillary Clinton. Um, and I think that if there's anything that's actually going to do something about the election, it will ultimately be the U.S. Justice Department if it decides to do its job. Yes, well, we'll, we'll we will see if that if whatever happens. It hope it's going to happen in the next few months, but uh, we'll be looking uh, intently on that situation. But we're gonna we're gonna uh, end this segment now. And I just wanted to say, give uh, give our listeners um, a, a, a mention about your book and also uh, Gilbert Messier's book as well at uh, News Junkie Post Press, uh, two books and also. Uh, about your other website as well. Give us a shout out for that and uh, where we can see more of your work. Okay, you can find uh, more of my work if you uh, look up my book on Amazon. It is titled We Have Dared to Be Free and in it I discuss uh, Haitian culture, history, and um, the events from 2010 to 2015. And uh, it's published by News Jacquipos Press. We, um, the press has published two books. Um, the second book is called The Orwellian Empire. It's by my colleague and the editor-in-chief of News Jacquipos, Gilbert Mercier. And in it, uh, he is he's French-born, and in it, he examines uh, the U.S., which is his adoptive home. And, and he looks at it with a very, very clear and he looks, uh, he's a geopolitical analyst, and he looks at places like Syria and Afghanistan and, and Iraq and, and, um, and where the country is going in terms of geopolitics. Uh, I, uh, I recommend both. Orwellian Empire. Um, or, yeah, the Orwellian it. Empire. And um, we both, um, of course, publish on the website newsjunkiepost.com and I also publish on on my own site which is daddycherry.org d-a-d-y-c-h-e-r-y dot org Daddy Cherry and there's links to these uh, up on our show page now uh, if you missed any of this on the live broadcast uh, go, please check out the archive of this interview Daddy Cherry thank you and you know one word I could say just to, to describe you know the breadth of your work is absolutely inspiring and uh, really thank you 
We appreciate your time, and I hope this isn't the last conversation we have. Oh, great. Well, it's been a pleasure to be on Sunday Wire. Thank you very much for the invitation. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Daddy Cherry, there's links to her work up on the show page, and uh, we thank her, and what a fantastic segment. We're going to take a short commercial break and try to connect our next guest from the U.K., Basil Valentine. Stay right there. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is the Sunday Wire. We'll be right back. Better. Stronger. 